You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey everybody, it's uh, Wednesday evening. Time for American Winer on podcastdetroit.com. How's everybody doing? I've been off for a couple weeks, but I'm back now. I uh, don't think I have the coronavirus yet, so uh, so that's good news. Um, joining me this evening, uh, all the way from uh, the, the UP, St. Ignis, uh, it's uh, indie pop musician Mosey, whose real name is Morgan Zinn. Morgan, how you doing? Hey, Alex. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for uh, thanks for calling in. How are things up in the UP there? Is it uh, is it still snowy and and winter esque? Yeah, oh, that's crazy. Uh, I think I haven't spoken with you since January, but we actually just moved two weeks ago. Oh. Um, we moved to Jones, Michigan. So we're still in Michigan, but not as cold. Where where, where are you at, Johns? I've never heard of that. It's, it's Jones. Oh, Jones. Um, yeah, it's still it's a super small town. It's, it's about 15 minutes from Three Rivers, and then 45 minutes from Kalamazoo. So right at the bottom of Michigan. Oh. On the Indiana. Oh, okay. And what are you, what are you guys doing down there? What was the, what was the move for? Was it a work related move or? Yeah, actually, uh, my husband just got hired at Bear Lake Bible Camp. So he's doing discipleship and programming for their camp. And now I get to focus on music fully, which is super exciting. Nice, nice. Well, um, I start the interview off usually with every uh, qu- with the same question. So, uh, where were you born? So yeah, I was actually born in Sault Ste. Marie, so up in the UP, um, and then spent most of my life in St. Ignace. Okay, and uh, and so you've you spent the majority of your early life in the UP then. So what was that like? Yeah, um, it was great. So I was homeschooled growing up. Um, there's eight kids in my family, so lots of time um, in the outdoors. Um, and it's just so beautiful up there. Um, I love all the lakes and being surrounded by water. Um, and like leaving the UP, going to college and um, living in different states, I just realized how lucky I was to grow up there and how like just so beautiful it is. It's just, it's just crazy. Yeah. And it's kind of untouched by a lot of the world's problems. I mean, the, the, the only thing that I've been up there a couple of times and, uh, I was up in Calumet the, at the end of, uh, uh, or actually it was the beginning of last fall. And, um, uh, talking with the locals up there, they're like, yeah, man, it's just, you know, it's, it's nice up here. And the, I mean, the winters are, are hard, but the thing is with snow is you can move snow. So it's not right. that, it's not that big <laughs> of a deal. Um, how old were you when you first sort of ventured out of the, of the UP then? Um, for college. So but, I went to Spring Harbor University. Um, and that's in Michigan. That's close to Jackson. And but yeah, most of my my whole childhood was in the UP. Yeah. Um, Ignis is a pretty well known tourist attraction, especially in the summers. Um, so it was interesting going from winters where is there's not a lot going on, very slow paced life, to our summers, which um, we have Mackinac Island, um, where 
tourists come and take the ferry boat to the island. So there's a lot of that going on, the mystery spot, and then things like Taquamanon Falls and pictured rocks. People would be um, making their way through our, our little small town. So it was really fun. I felt like um, it was just fun to grow up there and very safe area. So our parents let us ride bikes everywhere and explore and um, hang out with friends. It was, it was good. I, I realized now I had it really good as a kid. So I'm really thankful. Well, what were your interests when you were growing up? Like what did you spend your time doing when you weren't at school? Yeah. Um, I mean, music was a big part of my childhood. Um, my grandparents actually had built a stage in their home for plays. And um, so I, I grew up around music a lot um, and spent a lot of time songwriting and playing music um, on my own. And yeah, and then hanging out with friends. You know, I had two best friends, um, Carrie and Bethany, and we would ride our bikes through town and get slushies at, you know, Speedway. And it was a good, good childhood. Right. Uh, what, the, what what did your parents do for a living? Um, so my dad's a financial advisor, um, which I actually have worked for him throughout a few years. Um, this past season when we were in the UP, I was working for him. And then um, my mom, she has homeschooled us. And then she actually, a few years ago, started doing um, Norwex. So she sells cleaning products and does parties and things like that. Um, so, yeah, they're very hardworking people. And uh, and you said you were homeschooled. What kind of a student were you when it came to being homeschooled? <laughs> um, I feel like... I really, I, I feel like I was pretty type A. I really wanted to do well um, and push myself to do well. I did spend a year at a Christian school because um, I wanted to play sports for that year. And um, I remember I would be so nervous for tests. I would get like physically sick in the morning because I would just care so, like, too much about my school um but now i'm like i never use math now i'm like why did i spend all those years learning math like, yeah no, you... i know when i need to know how to do my taxes like i wish we had tax tax classes yeah yeah i think they might have tried to teach us that at least that for me because uh, i went to public school i think that there was it, it might have been in there somewhere but i don't really I, you know i was so you know, bored with the whole process by then that it just kind of went over my head. But yeah, the majority, I've never used algebra and I took algebra like three times. So I think right. the the entire generation is sort of like, that was kind of a waste of time. I think maybe we should adjust that. Uh, but, yeah. um, <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, you said that music was a part of your life, like pretty much the whole time growing up. So do you like, I mean, when did you first like start, you know, pursuing music just in general? Like, I mean, do you remember, did you start taking piano lessons at a certain age? Like when, when were you sort of introduced to it? Yeah. So my family is all very musical. Um, my dad plays piano. My mom played saxophone growing up. Um, and they both sing and then they have, 
had all of us kids in music lessons, um, either guitar or piano, or some of us took both. Um, so I feel like as a, I'm the oldest girl. Um, so I feel like I was kind of the guinea pig of the kids when it came to like, okay, let's see what Morgan would like to do. So I like, I took horseback riding lessons for a year. I took dance lessons for a few years. Um, and then I was also in piano lessons. I feel like just like any kind of lesson they could get me into, um, they signed me up. But yeah, piano, I started, um, actually my grandma was my first piano teacher probably when I was four or five years old. <clears throat> and then, um, yeah, just from there, my parents, we moved a little bit, um, especially when I was a lot younger, um, almost every year from when I was five till I was eight, just in the UP area. Um, so I had a few different teachers. And then once we settled in St. Ignace, um, I took piano with our pastor's wife, Leanne, um, Leanne Lane, and she taught me through high school. So I think I just got to the point when I was probably like nine, eight or nine, where I decided that I wanted to hone in on piano lessons instead of spreading out my time with dancing and um, horseback riding other things like that <laughs> yeah uh how, how many siblings do you have then so um there's eight of us total there's four boys and four girls wow and you're the oldest girl so how many what's what is the order going then yeah um so my oldest brother is i think how old am i 25 I'm getting to that age where I like have to ask myself how old am I? Um, <laughs> my brother, my oldest brother, twenty nine, and then I'm twenty five, and then my brother Daniel is twenty three, and then Mackenzie is twenty one. This is like a big test. Yeah. <laughs> um, then my sister Madison is twenty, and then there's a age gap. Um. Judson's 14, and then another age gap, Lincoln is 10, and then another jump, Mabry is, I think she's 6. No kidding. So all, all the girls have names that start with M. Yeah. Is that so, on purpose? Um, My mom says that like the first two were not on purpose, and then she felt like if the last, the last two had to be M because the first two were, but I don't think it was planned initially. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, that's quite the family though. That's, that's almost like, like you said, this is a big test. It's like in Goodwill hunting. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but uh, he's got like, or he says he has like 12 brothers and she asks his girlfriend, asks him to name them off. Anyway, that's what it reminded me of. Uh, so, um, uh, so you'd said that uh, you were about eight or nine when you kind of like you, you guys settled in St. Ignace and you started taking piano lessons from this pastor's wife. When did you like start deciding like, I think I want to, this might be something I want to do for a living or something that I want to try and do for a living um, and start writing your own songs? Like, was that around then or was that later? Um, so I had been like, making up songs from a very early age, probably like five or six years old. Like I was that kid that was like just always singing and I don't know, 
just always kind of making music up. Um, and then I feel like when I was 12, um, I started leading worship at our church and learned about chord progressions and like how chords and lyrics could overlap instead of having to like write out music. Um, and I feel like probably around that age, 13 maybe, I knew I really wanted to pursue music. And so I actually had a couple albums from high school that I recorded um, with this random friend of a friend um, guy who had a studio in his house. Um, and they were just like one take wonders um, <laughs> of me and piano. Um, so it's interesting listening back and going, oh, my goodness, that's terrible. Like, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> but, like, you know, everybody has has to start somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. I feel like I've always kind of just wanted to do that. And there's never really been anything else that made sense. And I've tried pursuing other things or, like, oh, maybe I would be good at um, – I don't know, finances or, you know, like what, how can I make money? Because <laughs> yeah. the music industry is very challenging to figure out. Like, how can I make a living off of this? It's not like a regular job where you can just go apply. You have to be very entrepreneurial and, and work hard and figure out, like, you just have to figure it out. I feel like there's, there's a lot of, um, asking a ton of questions and people have done it before. Um, you can't just get the degree. Yeah. You can't then, really, there's no one way in, there's no one way in and you can't. And even if you do work hard and if you do sort of um, per, may quote unquote, do everything right, it's changing so much that there's so many arbitrary reasons and things that could get in your way or that won't line up that, that may prevent it from happening. And, and, and there's also varying degrees of success, you know, like you can, you could get to the point where you're just doing it for a living, but you're not necessarily a household name. Like some of my favorite bands, there's a band from Ohio called over the Rhine. Um, I met you at the Ark in January and they play at the Ark a lot. Um, they, you know, they're, they do very well for themselves and they've been doing it for 20 years. You know, they own a ranch down in Ohio and, uh, have a music festival there every year, but they've never had a radio hit, you know? So it, mm. it really is a, it's success is, is, is sort of, it's a different definition of, of success, almost artist by artist. Um, but then there mm -hmm. is a certain point where it's like, okay, yeah, do you have an audience? Do you not have an audience? And, and so there are certain things you can measure, but, um, right. but how you get there is just, it's never the same path. It's like you said, you can't just go get a degree and then you're in. Right. Yeah, and, like, figuring out, like, what does success mean to you is so important because, like you're saying, for everyone it's different. And some people are amazing performers and, like, they can do the full-time touring, being on the road, and they're just made for that. And then there's some people who are just, like, incredible songwriters and they really need to be collaborating in rooms with other songwriters and you know, pitching or, you know, there's the publishing side. I feel like there's so many facets, um, which is great. Like there's so many ways to make money, but I feel like in a way that's also really daunting and challenging when 
you kind of just got to, I don't know, just jump in and try to put your name out there as much as you can. Yeah. Well, what do you think you are? Like you said, like there's the publishing side, there's the songwriting side. Like what would you, what do you want to be or what do you think that is the best fit for you? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I think, so I love the songwriting side. I feel like that's really where I thrive um, and I get the most excited about. And I feel like it just comes very naturally for me to write. Um, I feel like I can usually write a full song in about an hour um, with some editing later, but usually like I have a complete song. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas the touring um, and performing, I also enjoy. um, And I think this season that I'm in right now, allows for more shows and um, doing more collaborations and doing music videos and things like that, um, more on the artist side, which I'm really excited about. Um, but I don't, it's not as natural for me to, to do that. So I feel like right now I'm trying to push myself um, as an artist and, and releasing new things and, and learning more about that. But I feel like long term, like when I'm 80 years old, <laughs> I hope I'm still songwriting and, you know, writing for other artists. And um, yeah, because I, I just think the craft is so beautiful. And like literally you, you take a blank piece of paper with nothing on it and then you just make a song and it just comes out of you. It's like, where the heck did that come from? I don't know. It's very cool. Very much so. One of my favorite uh, uh, musicians is Michael Stipe from REM, and he said, "I can't remember when it was. It was was like around 2007. So he'd been doing it for you know 20 years, 30 years at that point. And he was like, when I began this, I had absolutely no idea how to write a song, and and you know now I can do it. You know, it doesn't take you know now I can do it. And uh, it's Mm -hmm. that's it's you're right. It's like the blank sheet of paper." And you just create something out of nothing, and, and it is a very beautiful process when it works out. Other times, it, you know, sometimes you, you you go for it, and you just there's just no water in the well. But um, it's terrible. Yeah, but that's that's just part of it. And then because because then there's those periods where like like I haven't written anything in like a in like a week or so, and and I'm you know it's like it's a little bit of a dry spell for me. But like then there's other people that write something maybe once a month and consider that you know a good a good uh, you know that's a productive period or whatever um so yeah it's it's you know i hope you're still doing it when you're 82 that's 60 years from now or or 55 years so that's a that's a long time away who knows what music will even be by then it'll probably be like you know know. it'll it'll occur like they'll pump they'll like beam it directly into our brains or something from from (laughs) the from the the eternal cloud that that will all exist in by then um but uh but yeah, so why don't you tell me about um, the Mosey project and how that came about? Like, when when did you start doing that? Yeah, um, so I think it was 2017. Um, I had been writing a lot of music, especially through college, um, and very much wanted to record. Very much had no money. Um, <laughs> at the time I was, I was nannying, um, and then worked at a coffee shop for a while while my husband was in school. 
Um, and I don't even remember who said it, but someone was just like, you need to do a Kickstarter. Like the rate that we were making money, there was no way to save, um, to do that. So Kickstarter, the way that that works is you have 30 days for your fundraiser or whatever it is. Um, so posted that. And then I think within like two weeks, it was fully funded, um, to, do this EP. Um, so that was super exciting. Um, so let me back up a little bit. So I, the reason why I picked the name Mosey, um, it's actually the first two letters of my first name and my last name, um, put together. But the reason why I chose to go with an artist name, um, was because for my whole life, I had put so much of my identity and like who I was into my music um, and to like a very unhealthy point um, where I had done this competition for my song, the song that I entered and I was like very, I, I don't know, I was like very prideful and was very sure that I was going to win and I didn't end up winning and then I was like very upset and um my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, pointed that out. Like, this this song that you wrote is awesome, but it doesn't define you, and it's not who you are. So, anyway, long story short, um, having an artist name kind of helps me mentally think about it differently. I can think about it more as my business, more as my project, than as my identity. So, anyway, um, yeah, the the EP. Um, was able to work with my friend Evan, um, who I met through a college program, um, who's a producer. Uh, he produces out of the Vanguard Room in Lakeland, Florida. So um, we worked together on that project, and it was funded through 88 backers who were just friends and family. Nice. And that was the Human EP that you put out in 2018. And and how long had those songs been around then? Had you had they had you written them a while back and you just were saving them, or did you write them all in that session? Or? So, um, one song is called "Our Family's Fine." Um, I wrote that during college, but I think the rest of the songs I had written after Brian and I got married, which is in twenty sixteen. Um, so. Most of those songs were written about my relationship with Brian, um, as well as some serious health conditions that he, a condition that he was going through. Um, so some of the song, one of the songs is called We Made It, which um, was just a song about celebrating life, even when it was really hard. Um, and just, we were kind of taking things day by day at that point with his health, not really knowing what was going on and why he was in so much pain. So, hmm. yeah. Do you mind if I ask what, what it was, or is that something you'd rather not get into? No, absolutely. I can share that. Um, so I believe in 2013, the year we actually started dating, um, he started getting rashes and we didn't know what they were from. Um, and then soon, like, he, it started taking over his whole body. 
And it was very concerning. Doctors thought maybe it was a food allergy. So he went on this really strict food diet for a while. Um, and that wasn't helping. And then he had all this other testing at U of M. And they believed, oh, maybe it's these chemicals that are in soaps. So we eliminated all these soaps uh, from our home. And it still wasn't helping. And so at this point, his body was very itchy, red, um, very uncomfortable. And he's trying to do school at the same time. So it was just really challenging time. Um, he wasn't sleeping. Anyway, fast forward until to actually this past June. So he's had it for seven years. Um, we found out that he has something called topical steroid withdrawal. Um, basically, he had a, a small reaction to something. We're not sure what. We think maybe it was the soap. Um, but then he started treating that spot with hydrocortisone, which is just over-the-counter um, steroid that you can take. And um, what happens after three weeks of use um, for some people is that you can actually become addicted to the steroid. Hmm. And so when you put the, the cream on, um, it acts as like cor like as cortisol, which your lymph nodes create on its own. Um, so when you put the cream on it, it like creates the cortisol for you, but then your body kind of forgets how to create cortisol because it's like doing it as a steroid. And um, there's actually a community of people on Facebook that we found of people who actually had this reaction to these steroids as well. And um, unfortunately, the only way to get better is by just completely stopping the cream and going through withdrawal. And mm. so the way that your body reacts when you stop taking it is your full body breaks out in rashes and um, you're, it's just very painful. Yeah. Lots of sores. Um, so it's been a crazy last few months. Um, he's actually been going through that withdrawal. And um, I think we're about eight months in now. Um, How long does it take? Doing, like to so that's the other problem. It's different for everybody, but a normal time frame is like one to two years. Wow. So on top of, on top of, cause how long was it from when he first had it until you figured out what it was? That was a couple of years right there. And then now it might be another couple of years for him to, for this problem to solve itself. Right. Um, yes. Yeah, 2013 is when it started. Wow. So that's almost, it'll be a pretty much a, almost a decade of him having to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, been, it's been hard. It's been really hard, but He's been a trooper and has just, you know, he's been a fighter. I'm really proud of him. Yeah. Did you guys met in college? Yep. And yep. that was at Spring Arbor University, you said, right? Yeah. And where were you, what were you guys going for? So I studied music um, and then an associate's degree in piano, um, piano pedagogy. And then he was a philosophy major. Oh, okay. And, and now, then, what's that? Uh, go ahead. Keep going. Oh, I was just going to say he just got his master's in theology at Asbury. 
Oh, okay. And now he's he said he's uh, he he works at a, a Christian camp now. That's the job he just got. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he's doing programming, and there's they have this uh, discipleship program where college kids come for nine months and then do this work study program. Oh, okay. Cool. Well, that's and it's a, uh, you said earlier that, that that job will allow you to pursue your music full time now. Yeah, which is super exciting um, and super scary. <laughs> um, kind of like what we touched on. I feel like there's so many, so many ways to do it, and just figuring out um, how I can make an income, like a regular income with it so right now i'm trying to learn more about sync licensing and putting my music um making it available for like commercials and tv shows and things like that um but it's just like a whole new world that i'm learning about right now yeah how do you go uh, go about that like what have you learned about that that process the licensing process yeah um so the people to look for are music supervisors those are the people who are finding songs and connecting them to projects, whether it's a commercial or a TV show or um, a jingle or things like that um, where they need music. So that's the person you look for. And then another thing I found is that it's really helpful if you do some research on that music supervisor. So what kind of TV show or project do they specifically work on? And then when you send your email, make sure your header says, like, I think that this song would be good for this specific scene in this specific show. Um, So that they're constantly reading through music. And so if you can make it as easy as possible for them instead of sending them like every single song that you've ever done or things like that, making it, making sure your song would actually fit what they would be looking for. Um, and then other things I've learned, like it's, it's beneficial um, to go through maybe a third party. Like there's this website called taxi that I was looking into and basically they pitch your song for you to the music supervisors. Um, Taxi specifically is like a yearly fee. They don't take a percentage if you get a cut. Um, and then there's other ones like that. So that's been helpful. Um, I found a couple of music supervisors I've pitched my songs to this week. Uh, haven't heard anything back yet, but I'm hopeful. Yeah, I mean, you're just starting out, so it's, you know, it's going to be, it could be a little bit before anything catches, but, uh, I mean, you know, you're in a really good position. So are you going to be, uh, are you going to be touring more or doing shows? Because when I met you, um, it, like I said, it was at the Ark in January, and you're, you were opening for the Timbre of Cedar, and uh, and I was, I went, I went home and looked you guys up, and I was, and I thought I was seeing things because it said Saint Ignace, and for some reason it didn't register that that's that's Mackinac Bridge Saint Ignace, and I was like, and after it hit me, I was like, oh my god, they drove like four hours for one show. That's that's crazy. So good for you for that. So you're going to be touring more, or what's what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, 
Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I feel like at that point, we were just like, we just needed to get out of the UP. And like, the Arc is such a cool venue. Yeah, it is. That, um, and, and the Tampere of Cedar, they're my friends from school. So it was just like, we couldn't miss it. Um, so as far as touring right now, I actually have a house show I'm playing in Nashville, April 15th. Um, so I'm opening for some friends. That I kind of just met through the music industry. Um, John Lewis is a new artist, up and coming artist. He's got some really good rock and roll music um, that he just released. So we'll be doing that. And then um, as far as more shows, I don't have anything lined up, but I would definitely love to play some more. Um, where we're located, we are about an hour away from the or hour and a half away from Detroit and then 45 minutes from Kalamazoo. And then we've got Chicago, like an hour and a half away. Um, and then Indianapolis is, I think it's like two hours, two, two and a half hours. So we're in a good location to be playing out more, which is really exciting. Um, like I said, we just moved two weeks ago. So we're still getting settled and, um, I'm able to start booking and things like that right now, but yeah, you're in like yeah, prime spot for a Midwestern tour. Like that's pretty, you could hit all, all several, you know, Michigan, Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio, and then getting in in Nashville too, you know, you're, you're probably going to meet people at that show that will, I mean, Nashville is, if you can get in in Nashville, then there's, that's one of the central hub. That is the central hub. I mean, it's mostly country music, but when it comes to music, you know, if you can get in there, I've interviewed a bunch of musicians who moved down to Nashville and, and they, they really like it. So, um, that's a smart move that can almost be your sort of little, uh, like a, uh, uh, not, not a debut because you've been doing it for, for a while now, but for, as far as Nashville goes, that's a good way. That's a good sort of Nashville debut for you to, to open for this guy who's, who's up and coming and, and doing that. Um, so, so yeah, so you recorded uh, Human in 2017, you re released it in 2018, um, and you've just been playing out since then. Um, and uh, so here's, here's something I haven't asked you yet. Uh, who, are your, who are your influences when it comes to your music? Who do you listen to and who do you aspire to? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I feel like over the years, it's kind of, changed and developed who I was listening to. Um, so I think actually in high school, um, I started listening to singers like Ingrid Michaelson, um, the Weepies, Regina Spector. Um, so like those women, um, and their voices are all very like soft and breathy. And I realized like, Oh, like, because my voice is pretty soft. I don't have a very, like, powerful, big voice. Um, and a lot of the music I had listened to before that, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to sing like that. But these those singers kind of were, like, helped me realize, oh, I can, I can use my voice this way, and it can be just as powerful and more of, like, the storytelling um, singing instead of, like, the big runs and... Um, like the big voice. Um, and then in college, um, I actually studied under Dr. Mark Douglas um, at Spring Arbor. And he 
encouraged me. Uh, we actually studied Joni Mitchell um, and Dolly Parton's work and um, just how they, their writing is just incredible um, and how they, how they use their voices in their music um, along with like super crazy music theory um, like Dolly Parton's song um, Jolene where she uses the Dorian scale um, and like I don't know this music theory things like that get me really excited um, <laughs> that's that's cool I was Go ahead. What's that? Uh, go, go ahead. I, um, I was just going to interject with something on the Dorian scale, but I can I can talk about that later. So keep going. <laughs> no, go for it. Well, I was gonna I was gonna say like because for me like I when I started taking guitar lessons back in two thousand one, uh, I that was one of the first things I tried to learn, and man, that stuff just did not click with me. It was like, but I remember I remember for some reason the only one I remember is the Dorian scale, and I never realized that Jolene is the Dorian scale. Um, or that she uses oh, really? that on that. Yeah, I never. So that's just funny that uh, that I learned that today. Um, but anyway, you were you were saying that uh, you know you, you started off listening to the to to these artists that you, you sort of realized you could emulate. You were like, hey, this is how I can make my type of voice work. And then you started getting more into music theory and the songwriting craft, thanks to Joni Mitchell and Dolly Parton. So, and that was in college. You said so. Where did you go from there? Yeah. Um, so those were like really influential on um, songwriting and just like I think before I was my music was very like lyrics and music were not as connected. Um, but then after studying them, realizing that music itself can kind of tell its own story. So if you can combine the music and the lyrics together, I know that sounds like I don't know if that makes sense, but like if you can think about how the music, not just as chords, but as its own storytelling, it gives like a song so much more depth and layers. If you're like conscious of what you're doing for both of those things. Um, so yeah, then as I graduated, I, I started listening to artists like Maggie Rogers, um, the Japanese house, um, someone I'm really into right now is Alex Benjamin. Um, and so these artists, I feel like, do a really good job of combining music theory um, and just, like, super poetic lyrics and then also combined, um, like, pop, synth, um, just music that makes you feel something, whether it's you know, like you want to move or you want to dance or like you feel like, oh, someone understands me really well with this like emotional ballad. I don't know. These are some of the artists that I've just really connected to in the last few years and they like push me to be more creative um, and more, I don't know. Yeah push the envelope. Well, yeah, it's, it's funny because you said like, you know, artists that understand music theory for so long, pop music was just, uh, or has been mostly people that don't know music theory. They just sort of play what they hear or they, they learned an instrument and they, they write on the instrument. Um, but when people who know music theory do it and they, they have pop sensibilities, you can get, it's, it's almost like they turn it into a math problem. 
where it's it's this really th- these really pretty little compositions. Like one of my favorite uh, artists is Nickel Creek, and they uh, oh, yeah yeah they've been, I've been listening to them since like two thousand their their first album and the, the Lighthouse's Tale. Like you said, making like the the lyrics blend with the music and the winds that blow, and it sounds like a wind blowing you know off off of the the shore you know. Um, and the, all those guys really understand music, like they're prodigies, basically, and uh, and so that's a perfect example of that. But you, you like Nickel Creek, huh? Oh yeah, yeah. I feel like yeah. High school, I was really into them. Um, but was it is it called well, the Lighthouse? Yeah, the Lighthouse's or, Tale. Yeah. The Lighthouse Tale. Yeah, and they use like a ton of strings and mandolin. It's so good. Their harmonies are so good. Yeah, they're one of the best bands I've ever seen live. It's been I I haven't seen them since they reformed. They went on hiatus for like ten years, but uh, um, I saw them back in their mid two thousands, and uh, they are they're my friend was sitting with me, and and he turned to me as we were listening to them harmonize, and he's like, "It's sickeningly in tune. It's they are it's sickeningly in tune. They're they're so good at what they do, um, and uh." And yeah, so um, so the the music theory part. You said things uh, like like uh, I was going to say Madonna, uh, Dolly Parton using the Dorian scale and Jolene. You said music theory uh, sort of connections like that in pop music get you excited. Can you think of any other instances of that that you've where you've looked up on something or, or listened to something and been like, hey, that person's using G Mixolydian or or, or something like that? Yeah, um, I think Vampire Weekend. Is it, is it called Father of the Bride? I can't remember the name of their album, but they have a song called Sunflower that they just released. Um, and they use, I'm pretty sure it's Lydian, but there's this scale that, like, it's, it's I would say it's like a pop folk album, but they use um, this guitar scale that I was, like, trying to figure out what mode it was. I'm pretty sure it's Lydian. But it's all, it's like, it's so, your ears just not used to hearing it, but at the same time, it like, it's singable. I don't know. And then uh, Japanese house, they also use modal scales um, for their melodies. Um, and so it's just like melodies that you wouldn't normally hear, but they're in a pop song, so it just makes it's just so interesting. So those those would be the two that I would that I like get excited about. Have you used that type of thing in your own music? Um, I think I tried to do that more in college when I was like specifically studying the, the modes, and I feel like I haven't done it as much lately. But I used to challenge myself. Um, this one time I wanted to like write this song um shoot what's it called um using like trying to make the music sound like a typewriter mm-hmm. um so like the way that I was like playing the piano I was trying to like mimic that sound not necessarily like just on one note um and then make the song about like this love letter. But it's it's fun to like kind of challenge yourself to do that, like have the music emulate a specific 
something else that's not necessarily musical. I don't know. It's fun. Right. Well, how do you write songs typically then? Like what's your usual songwriting process? Um, so my normal process is I will usually sit down at my keyboard and find a tone that I am excited about. Um, this, whether it's regular piano or like some synth and then I'll just have my, I like writing on a, with an, with a pen and a notebook. I know some people like using a computer or like a phone, but I think just since I've been doing that for so long, something about having the pen in my hand with real paper is just really helpful. Um, so then I'll usually like find a, a chord that I like or like a chord progression. And then for me, the lyrics are less about like what I'm writing and more about the emotion that I have that's informing like the words. I don't know if that makes sense, but because um, like when I'm writing, I'm focusing more on what is the emotion of this song and less about what exactly am I trying to say? Because when I'm more focused on like, what is the feeling? Um, I write a lot faster and I'm less like critical while I'm doing it. It's, it's much more um, of a cohesive process. Whereas like if I am co-writing with someone and everyone has like their different ways that they write, um, I have a much harder time being very analytical about writing and um, I don't know. I just feel way less disconnected. So it's, it's very much a, in the moment I hear the chord, which kind of gets me like writing a line. And then I don't know, it's just like this really cool process where it just kind of all comes together at the same time. Um, not all my songs, are written like that, but a lot of them come from that process. Have you ever written a song that you, have you ever like had a dream and heard a, a song in the dream and woken up and, and written that down? Like, uh, like, like satisfaction or yesterday. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think, I feel like I have in the, in high school. Um, I had like a melody that I like woke up and played it, but nothing that's ever been like, not, not at least that I can think of that's been like really awesome. You know what I mean? Just yeah. like, Oh, this is an idea, but nothing like yesterday. <laughs> nothing in its completion. Yeah. That, that usually right. happens to me too. Like all in the, in the dream, it'll be this incredible, thing you know and then i'll wake up and i'll remember like a piece of it and it'll be like well that'll just have to do and, and then that'll become the song you know like this one particular chord progression or this melody line or something but i've never woken up and been like oh man i have to get a i have to get a viola now because that viola part was absolutely beautiful and then this is the melody and then this is going to be guitars and i'm going to use these particular drums you know um right do you remember the first song you ever wrote Yes, I do. <laughs> um, it's actually about my grandpa. So uh, I was like five, five or six years old. 
It's called Old Man and Checkers. Old Man and Checkers? And, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so my grandpa used to wear, um, I mean, he still does. He wears lots of plaid shirts. So I was just playing pool with my brother, and I just started singing this song called Old Man Checkers. And my I don't know if it was my mom. She's like, did you hear that song on the country radio or something? I was like, no, I just made it up. But, yeah, so that was the first song we wrote. Huh. You should break that out for the next album. You should do a, an adult version of Old yeah. Man Checkers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, a good, it's a good family running joke. People still sing it, but I don't think I'll sing it today. Oh yeah, you don't need to sing it today. But I was just gonna say, if somebody remembered it from when you said you were five, that's twenty years. You know, people still remembering that. That's a good sign. I would, you know, I bet you that's got some good pop sensibility to it. You should debut it. At, you should fix it up, and then debut it at the Nashville show in April. That would, oh, yeah. that would that'd be what I'd do. <laughs> um, so uh, I got a couple of questions left here for you. Um, the first one is that we've talked about the music industry and sort of you know the how many different ways there are in and how arbitrary a lot of the success is um, and how difficult it is to achieve any modicum of success. Um, but like in terms of the industry, just in general, like where do you see it going? Like you've talked about like nowadays that licensing has a lot to do with it. Most musicians make a, the lion's share of their income off of touring because albums don't sell like they used to. Um, so, I mean, just what's your opinion on that? Like, where do you see it, it going with the internet and everything? Yeah, the internet's wild. Like, it, it's, it's just made everything so different, I think, from like my parents' generation. Before, I feel like the music industry, at least from an artist's perspective, was very much this, like, I got to get discovered. I got to get in the right room with the right people. I, um, I feel like it, it is still kind of cutthroat in its own way, but I feel like it used to be a lot more of this, like, you got, you got to almost win it or you got to like, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you have to, you have to be discovered. Whereas now I feel like you can you can release your own music um, independently. You don't need um, to be signed, which is huge. Um, you can do like I'm going to release a music video actually next week, um, and that's all just been video video through some friends. Um, so you know, like it's very much more. DIY now in a lot of ways um and I think that's for me it's mostly just very exciting um a girl from a small town um that doesn't necessarily have all the connections but because of the internet I feel like there's endless possibilities um but yeah I don't know I feel like music right now there's some, I do feel some frustrated, frustration. I don't know if frustration is the right word, um, but because it's so easy to be releasing music constantly, I feel like maybe some of the content 
isn't as strong as it could be. Um, I'm just like a, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like, especially because I want, you know, my music and my lyrics to have like a lot of that like music theory and that depth. I do see some of my friends leaning towards the very like shallow, easy music. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, it's just interesting. So. Yeah, well, you know, it's know. it's like you said. Like originally, it was it was very album based. It, you didn't have to. Nowadays, the way it is is in order to get discovered, you basically already have to build your own audience. You have to go out and and you already have to be established. And then if that happens, then the the big leagues will take notice of you, and then they'll bring you up to that to the other level. Um, and then th- there's this sort of it's like everything else with the economy right now. There's this extraordinarily small group of people who are doing insanely well and their stuff is kind of, like you said, shallow and lowest common denominator and it's almost programmed. Um, There's a lot of talent. There's some genuine talent behind a lot of that music, but it does all it's, it seems very plasticized. And, um, but then below that is this whole other universe of, uh, of people just doing it on their own and they may not be part of the mainstream or even be part of the mainstream um, machine. You know, they're not getting played on radio. Like the Japanese house, I'd never heard of them before tonight, but I just Googled them and they've, they're connected to the 1975 who are, who are getting bigger and, and, you know, they've, they're established. They've been doing this for, for, for a while now, or I should say she. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is sort of, um, I completely understand what you're saying. It was a completely different world up until the internet came around. And then by like the, I'd say like 2000, around the time of the smartphone. So like late 2000s is when it really shifted. And now it's, you have to go be putting your own stuff out. You have to be prolific. You have to be touring. You have to be making yourself as visible as possible so that your audience is growing as exponentially as it possibly can. And then if that goes well, then maybe the big leagues will be like, hey, who's this Who's this artist that is getting a lot of buzz mm-hmm. in the Midwest? And and uh, maybe we should go take a look at them. Whereas before, you could just be playing a club. And even if you didn't have an audience, they would listen to your sound and they'd be like, I can sell these people. I'm putting them out. So that's kind of I'm maybe that still does happen in fact it probably does but it's way more rare than it than it it was mm-hmm. it's not the only way in um so that's that's my take on that does that make sense Yeah definitely Um cool well uh I this is the last question uh, what what do you got coming up in the future besides this uh, you said you're releasing a music video next week and then you got the show in Nashville on April 15th so um what do you, what else do you got going on Yeah so Friday, the song's releasing. It's called World Goes On. Um, and then the music video, I think I'm going to drop on Wednesday. But my, so my fans don't know that on my Instagram. The music video is a surprise. So if you're listening, check YouTube on Wednesday because there will be a video. Um, and then this summer, I'm actually going to recording my EP. So I'm super excited about that. I've been writing this EP since I released the human EP in the fall of 2018. Um, so I'm super excited. I think there's going to be six songs on this next project. Um, are, you, are you recording it with Evan again? Yeah. Yep. In Lakeland. Cool. 
Very good. Well, you said uh, the music video, the song is dropping on Friday, and you're thinking the music video mm-hmm. will be out next Wednesday? Yes. And it's called Wor- World Goes On, and that'll be on the next the next EP that you're hoping to, to do this summer. All right, cool. Well, um, Morgan, thanks so much for calling in and uh, and and talking to us. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, I was actually going to say, like, I, you released your Spotify numbers recently from from 2019, and they were really good. Like, you had a ton of people listening. So you have. That's what I was going to say uh, at the end of that spiel about the music industry. Is like you're you're in a good position to to sort of grow yourself at this point. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with you over the next couple of years. Uh, so. So, and, and I can tell everybody, Hey, I had her on my podcast. So, um, uh, but, uh, so thanks for calling in. Um, and, uh, and good luck to you. Thanks so much, Alex. Appreciate it. Cool. Well, hang on the line. Um, I'll give you a, a proper good, goodbye after the, uh, after I'm off the air here, but uh, everybody else, I will be back next week. Um, a good friend of mine, Justin Bruce, who is a controls engineer, uh, will be joining me. We'll be talking about controls related things. Um, looking forward to that and, uh, probably we'll get, we'll get even deeper than that. Um, in terms of like the, the mechanics of the universe and all sorts of things like that. Um, so I'm looking forward to talking to Justin, but, uh, everybody have a great week. Um, wash your hands. Don't go out unless you absolutely have to, um, don't touch your face, And, uh, you know, just uh, be safe. So everybody have a good week. This has been American Winer on podcastdetroit.com.